Let us pray. God of the ages, full of truth and grace, we come to worship and praise you, giving thanks for the many ways you come near to us. We pray now that we would draw near to you, attending to your presence in our lives. We pray this and all things in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. The first lesson is from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, one of the, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in rage, but his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Thus ends the reading of the first lesson.
to honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, please stand for the reading of the gospel. A reading from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs of, to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. ago I was um, attending midweek with Foundry. Foundry is our young adult ministry and midweek is their gathering during the week. Occasionally Colin brings a guest in to interview them and I guess he was scraping the bottom of the barrel because he decided to bring in the old man and see if that would do any good. So he brought me in to interview me, put me up on a stool up front and he asked me such probing questions as what superhero power do you wish you had? Or what would you tell your 25-year-old self? What I really was most curious about, though, was to see how he was going to promote this. What he, what he would do that would possibly entice young adults to come on a Wednesday night to have a conversation with me. So I was intrigued to see what he put on the Foundry Instagram account. Now, if you don't know what Instagram is, it explains why you were not at the young adult midweek gathering. On the Foundry Instagram account, Colin put this, interview with Carl Frazier, pastor, author, doctor, human. Now, I think it was the doctor part that was the teaser. I think he was hoping that they might think they'd get free medical advice if they showed up, so he put doctor on there. There are other things he could have put. We know there, uh, that's not the full definition of me. He could have said um, husband, father, pop, son, friend. He could have said any number of things which would have been as equally flattering and are the ways I like to look at myself. But the truth is that still wouldn't have been the full truth about me. In fairness, he could have said this, interview with Carl Frazier, pastor, but he drives too fast and is short-tempered in traffic. 
interview with Carl Fraser, author, but he tends to leave dirty coffee cups in the sink and dirty socks on the floor. Interview with Carl Fraser, doctor, but he really doesn't eat well, too much barbecue, and doesn't exercise like he should. Or interview with Carl Fraser, human, but he doesn't always remember to thank the people around him, and he takes them for granted. But, but, that is a painful word when it shows up in a sentence and we all know that word, we all have that word in our sentence somewhere. Usually I suspect for most of us it's a word we put in the sentence more than someone puts in there for us. I am a good father but I really spend more time at work than I should and not enough time with my children. I'm a good mother, but I don't stay as patient as I wish I could, and I know that they're going to remember that when they're older. I'm a good employee, but truthfully, this job's gotten really boring, and I'm not working at it very hard anymore. I'm a good church member, but, well, I'll let you finish that one yourselves. You can. <laughs> that word just appears in sentences all the time, and... And it tends to negate the things that come before it. And it's not, just, uh, it's not just a word that appears for us individually. It appears collectively, too, when we look at our collective life together. This word changes things for us collectively. The pastors have heard it sometimes from people who visited with us. You have a beautiful building, they'll say, but we couldn't find our way around. And there was no signage and no one to help us. I don't know if we can come back. The worship service was beautiful, they might say, but no one spoke to us. And we didn't feel welcome at all. And it, it changes everything from the first half of the sentence, doesn't it? This past Thursday was the 4th of July. You know that. It's just a reminder in case you're wondering where everybody else was this morning. They're all at the beach. I'm glad you're here. And on the 4th of July, we, we gather as a people, 243 years now, and we celebrate who we are. And we celebrate the things that have been accomplished through this experiment that's America. And the greatness that we have and the freedoms that are offered and the unlimited potential and one of my 4th of July traditions, my family will tell you, is every year I try to find a, an American history of some sort that I haven't read, perhaps a new one that's been published, to read. And this year I'm reading a book called Heirs of the Founders. It's the story of Daniel Webster and Henry Clay and John C. Calhoun, the next generation of American leaders behind the founders. And the thing is, as I've been reading that book this week, it's reminded me that in the American sentence about our greatness and our unlimited potential, there is a but, right? There are several buts, but slavery but genocide, those things are there. We name them because it's looking at ourselves honestly, it's being candid with ourselves about who we are. There's always that but, and the thing is, that conjunction is often where total honesty begins. If you look up this conjunction in the dictionary, you'll be reminded of what you already know. It's used to introduce a phrase or a clause contrasting with what has already been mentioned. The truth is, we really use it to negate everything that's already been mentioned. We use it to erase what has already been mentioned. The but eliminates everything that came before it. I've come to suggest to you this morning that the conjunction, the but, the space after it is the space that God uses to work. That the space before the but, the way we write the sentence, is the space that leaves no room for God or for the Spirit. 
to move. Which brings us to Naaman, the king of Syria you heard about in just, a, uh, just a moment ago, general for the king of Aram. We're told that he is a great man and in high favor with his master because by, the, by him the Lord has given victory to Aram. It actually translates literally this way, by him the Lord has given Teshua to Aram, salvation to Aram. To the enemies of Israel, the God of Israel has given salvation through Naaman, a great man, in high favor, a military savior. But that's not his whole story. It's lost a little bit in the New Revised Standard Version that we use here in worship that we read, the man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Other translations capture it better. King James Version says this, he was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. The New International Version writes it this way. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. The Common English Bible says this man was a mighty warrior, but he had a skin disease. But. He's a great man, but. It erases everything. It doesn't matter how much hardware is on Naaman's uniform chest or how many victories he has won, he has the single most dreaded disease in the ancient world. He is a leper. The book of Leviticus, Israel's holiness code, devotes two whole chapters on how to deal with leprosy. Lepers are unclean. They're not allowed in polite society. You don't want to be seen with them anywhere. Imagine a four-star general not being welcome at the officer's ball. That's what leprosy does. And leprosy, truthfully, in the ancient world could be any skin disease, from Hansen's disease, which is the debilitating, disfiguring kind that you think of, to something as simple as cirrhosis or acne. The leper's unclean. He's cut off from all interactions with other people, and most importantly for Israel, the leper is cut off from the worship of God. Not probably that Naaman cared about that too much. What he did care about was a cure. He would go anywhere to find a cure. He would even take the advice of a household servant. Now apropos of nothing we've said so far as an aside, pay attention to who gives advice in this story. This story is presented to you as the story of a general two kings, and a curmudgeon of a prophet named Elisha. God, you may have noticed, says nothing throughout the whole story. He's completely silent. But, and there it is, but the voices that are listened to in the story are the voices from beneath in the society. They, the source of wisdom, the source of advice are those that otherwise would not typically be heard. The household servant here, Naaman's servants later. It's as if the author of 2 Kings wants us to understand that God seems to speak in places and from voices that we tend not to pay attention to or heed. And humility may require the admission that the healing, or at the very least the wisdom that leads to healing, may come from the least likely places. And we would do well to listen to them. So Naaman does. He, he travels to Israel. He travels to Elisha. And Elisha doesn't so much as stir from his recliner to go out and greet him. Great man, man of valor. 
powerful man. He's got an army arrayed on Elisha's front lawn, and Elisha doesn't get out of his recliner. He hits the mute button and says to his servant, go out there and tell him to go bathe in the Jordan River seven times. Now look, if you've ever seen the Jordan River, this is hilarious. In our mind, the Jordan River is this mighty river like the Mississippi, this huge thing. Truthfully, it's a muddy creek. The, the Noose River in Smithfield is more attractive for bathing in than the Jordan River outside of Jerusalem. And yet this is what he says, go bathe in the Jordan seven times. Naaman resists. He's a proud man. And it may well be that that is his disease, is his pride, his hubris. Maybe it's ours. Maybe we believe that the only way that the last half of the sentence is not really heard but mumbled is to be very loud in the first half of the sentence. A man of great valor, but he had leprosy. A man of valor. Bathe here? Bathe in the Jordan? Bathe in the Jordan to be healed? I don't think so. And the problem is, you understand that to bathe, Naaman will have to strip off everything. He's going to have to take off the decorations. He's going to have to take off the uniform. He's going to have to take off the armor. He's going to have to take off everything he holds dear and then defenseless and completely vulnerable step into water in enemy territory. He has to remove all show of success and power and pretense and stand before God naked and vulnerable and he is told that the only way to be healed is to be completely exposed before God. The only way to serve is to be completely exposed before God. I've thought this week that perhaps the reaction of the disciples in the gospel lesson is the same as Naaman's. You want us to what? Go where without sandals or staff or money? Leave everything? Be completely defenseless? Yes. We are told that Naaman does exactly what he's asked to do. He takes seven mud baths in the Jordan River, and the writer says his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. A young boy. No pretense, no pride, no status, just healed. Whole. So here's the thing. Like most stories in the Bible, I don't think this is just a story about ancient people a long time ago. I think this is not simply a story of a general and two kings and a curmudgeon of a prophet named Elisha. I think this story may be about us. I think it may be about you and me, middle and upper class Carryites, Methodist with a curmudgeon of a lead pastor. I think it may be about us in all of our weaknesses and in all of our successes with all of our pride, too certain of ourselves to ask for help and too proud to hear help when it comes from those we consider beneath us, from those we do not ordinarily see but through whom God speaks. 
I think this is a story of our pride and of our inability to acknowledge our brokenness. Mostly, though, because it's in the Bible, I think it's a story about God, about the God who never once speaks in the story but who acts throughout it. The God through whom the healing comes. God who is the one before whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden as we pray. God who knows everything we put after we say but. God who is the one who has the only true power in this story. And we are taught that to receive what God has to offer us, we have to surrender what we want to believe about ourselves and be humble and powerless. See, that's what happens when we come here on Sunday morning. We come in here in desperate need of grace. And several times in the hour, one of the things we do is we bow our heads. It's the most defenseless posture we can be in, to bow our head, to expose our neck, to not be looking up. But we do, to pray and to ask for grace. We come here, we come to waters to be washed. We come to these baptismal waters. And this water, by the way, it comes from a faucet in the sacristy in the room right behind us back here. So it's water from the Jordan, from Jordan Lake. We, we, we come to be washed in these waters. We come to be washed in these waters and to rise from them, our sins forgiven, whole, and cleansed. We come to this table to be fed, and we come not with our hands clenched, holding on to what we think we have. We come with our hands open, supplicants, beggars, in need of grace, in need of healing, no matter how successful or prosperous or important or powerful we may be. We step into the sentence of our lives at the conjunction, and what we find is, as Naaman did, what we find is that God has rewritten the sentence. God has taken all the negative stuff of us and put it in the first part of the sentence. So the but erases the negative. He's a businessman. She's an attorney. He's a teacher. She's a banker. That's how we start our sentences. God starts them this way. I am a sinner, but grace. You are a sinner, but grace. I am unclean, and you are unclean, but grace has taught our hearts to fear, and grace our fears relieved. We've got all that negative stuff, but God has made us new. God has made us whole. God has made us the beloved children of God. And water washed and spirit fed, we can say, thanks be to God.